Um, So we're going to be speaking about John 21, and I'm going to start off by reading the passage. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were together. I'm going to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got in the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but his disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you got any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and then you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals, and there was fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? But they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and he took the bread and he gave it to them and he did the same of the fish. This was now the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because John had asked him for the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Thanks, Phil. Um, Do you remember where you were on the night of the Twin Towers? Or maybe where you were on the night when Princess Di died, or the morning, because it kind of happened overnight. For the um, second one, I was doing my Gold Duke of Edinburgh, and for the first one, um, I remember watching the news, the rolling news, on a um, outside a radio rental shop in Headingley, in Leeds, which is just such a kind of, you don't get them anymore, do you? Um, And there's hundreds and thousands of days where we really struggle to remember what's happened. You know, people say, what did you do with your weekend when you get back into the office on Monday? And I go, what did I do with my weekend? Um, But then we have these days where something changes, like the environment around us changes or something inside us changes. You know, maybe we find out some really bad news that we weren't expecting. Maybe you have your life mapped out and you get an unexpected diagnosis or suddenly the world doesn't feel so safe. And the plans look rocky and uncertain. And then you have those days which are wonderful. You know, you get married or, you know, something amazing happens. And these are days you always remember. And for Peter, it was one of these days. 
So for Peter, it had all gone wrong. This story is after Jesus had died. And this was Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, the one who had been following for three years. And Jesus had died. And it was his fault. Well, it wasn't really his fault, but he'd denied him three times. And he probably had a huge amount of angst and a huge amount of, yes, I contributed to this whole situation. You know, he'd betrayed him. And he hadn't even betrayed him to, like, you know, really important people. He'd betrayed him to some servants around a fire. And Jesus said, you'll betray me. And he said, no, I won't. I won't. I won't. So what did Peter do? Well, he went back to fishing. He went back to what he'd always done before. It was like every other day, the kind of simplicity of fishing, the monotonous, routine, repetitious, repet- repetitive, um, you know, fishing. That was what he did. That's what he'd been brought up to do. He could do it with his eyes shut. He was really good at fishing, except he wasn't. They had caught nothing. He'd been out all night, and embarrassingly, he was going to have to go all the way into shore with nothing. So maybe they chose a really quiet bit of Lake Galilee to land so nobody would notice that they had been out all night. But when they get to this place to land, there's somebody there and they call out to them across the water. They can't see who it is, but they call out to them. They say, friend, what have they caught? What have you caught? And, um, you know, maybe they struggle to place them. Who is this person that's kind of called them friend? It's, you know, a kind of a greeting and acknowledgement that you know them. And they say, nothing. Maybe they hesitated before saying it out loud. And then the man says, throw your nets on the other side. It's really interesting when you take instructions from a stranger who tells you how to do your job, when you're the one doing your job, and they seem to know how to do it better. But it's particularly weird for Peter, because the last time someone said that to them was actually Jesus. So it's recorded in Luke 5, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and Jesus was preaching to the crowds, and there were so many of them that he asked Simon Peter and his friends if he could step into their boats and preach to the crowd. And it says that the disciples were on the shore, you know, they were sorting out their nets after a day's catch, they'd been up all night, and they were probably a little bit torn between listening to this amazing preacher, and he was in their boats, and actually, if they were like me, just wanting to go to bed, and I wish he'd hurry up and leave. And so, so they had this situation, and then Jesus, at that point, at the very beginning, before, you know, people knew he was Jesus, Son of God, before they'd spent three years with him, he says to them, let's go fishing again. And they say, we've fished all night, and we've caught nothing, but because you say that, we will do it. And they have this miraculous catch. So maybe Peter's not sure why they take this advice from a stranger, but actually he does. And he puts the nets in the water, and then they are so full that they can't even put the fish in the boat. They have to tow the fish all the way back to land. And then the disciple, not Peter, the other disciple, identifies it's Jesus. He shouts and he says, it's the Lord. And Peter, we know about Peter. He walks on water. He does all these things of kind of, you know, impulsive, um, creative man. And he jumps in the water. He goes, right, I'm going to swim there. Um, see who gets there first. Um, he's really impatient to get to Jesus. Um, And then they get there and Jesus says, bring some fish. And Peter kind of goes back and he joins the team and they pull in the fish and they count them. And they have this figure of 153 large fish. So there's probably some small ones as well. So I'm going to come back to the the story, but there's kind of three points, um, which I want to cover first. If we have the next slide, please, Phil. Um, So the first one is Jesus knows where we are. 
And I really like this about this story, was Peter was hiding in plain sight. He'd gone back to doing what was really familiar. His life plan was in tatters. He'd followed this guy for three years. You know, he'd given up his family business. He'd followed Jesus around. And sometimes it might seem like our own life plan is in tatters. And, you know, where do we go from here? And, you know, does God see you? But God does see you. God knows where you are. And he's standing at the shore side and he's calling out to you. And God, Jesus, he sees you. Uh, Second slide, please. Um, Jesus is at work. Um, I was recently discussing why in Africa people see so many more miracles than they do in Europe. And the person I was talking to kind of said, well, maybe that's because people are looking for them. You know, we're not kind of saying, oh, it's a coincidence. So my son lost his phone on Friday on the bus. I'm praying that we find it. Please join me in praying that we find the phone on the bus. Um, you know, but it's one of those things where you almost think, well, if I pray with him and then it doesn't happen, will that destroy his faith? You know, but actually, are we taking those opportunities and going, yes, let's pray into that? You know, and all those little, very minor things, you know, we're not, we're not talking about kind of, you know, the big things, but are we looking for God to do things? I don't know if anyone else has done Discovery Insights. It's a psychometric tool. And um, I've done it, and there's four colours. And um, kind of red is very um, kind of driven, very task-focused. Um, yellow is kind of very friendly. Um, green is kind of very much a people person. People come first, and blue is data. Um, I am not blue. Um, but I'm kind of red-yellow. And um, it's really interesting because sometimes I can become so focused on a task that actually I lose the reason why I'm doing it. I lose the kind of, actually, it's about the people. It's about the people I'm working with. It's about hearing their stories and including them in what I'm doing. And I know it's a fault of mine. Um, But what that does mean is sometimes it's hard to kind of stop and think, what's God doing in this situation? Where is God at work? And about 10 years ago, I was working for the BBC, and someone literally walked into my office and said, I'm a Muslim. I hear you're Christian. I'm really interested in Christianity. How do I find out more about it? That has never happened since. But that was one of those moments when I was like, wow. You know, that wasn't like kind of a a little moment. That was kind of a God with a big sledgehammer moment. But there's loads of little conversations which you have with people. You know, when someone said to me the other day, oh, I'm a humanist and I had a humanist wedding. You know, there's lots and lots of little conversations which you can have. And for Peter, it's one of those sort of moments. It's kind of one of those ones where, you know, you kind of get off the kind of main path of what you're doing. You kind of listen to other people. You kind of put other people first. You let your nets down. And Jesus here was calling him to be part of his amazing story. He wasn't saying, actually, you failed me. He was saying, look, look at this. You know, come bring some fish. Come join us. So God hasn't written us off. We might need to swallow our pride. We might need to listen to a stranger. We might need to let our nets down. And unless you're a fisherman, that's kind of metaphorical rather than literal. Um, But we might need to be vulnerable again to take a risk and to take control where in our own strength we failed. Uh, Next slide, please, Phil. Um, I really like this quote from Tear Fund. Because sometimes we think, what are we chasing? What is the miracle which we are looking for? And it says, if all your prayers were answered, would it change just your world? Would it change the world or just yours? 
And I think that's so true because it's so easy to pray for me, for my family, for my community, for my work, the kind of little things around me. But kind of there's a massive world out there. And what are we looking for for the miracle? And in this story, the miracle is the fish. You know, there's this amazing catch of fish, which has just come out of nowhere. But Peter, next slide, please. Um, Peter jumps in the water because he's not after the miracle. He's after Jesus, and he's chasing Jesus. And I think that's a really challenging question of, are we chasing Jesus, or are we just chasing miracles? And actually, we do need miracles. We need prayers answered. That's why we pray them. But actually, when we pray, it's about our relationship with God. It's about our relationship with Jesus. It's about how that develops us as a person and how that releases that connection. And Jesus isn't Father Christmas. It's not about a sprinkling of presents if we've been really good. It's about the relationship. And that is what this next bit of the passage is all about. So they bring in the net, and there's a fire with fish and bread cooking. Next slide, please. And they're on the beach. And this is really interesting because this detail kind of mirrors the detail of the fire when Peter is warming himself, when Jesus is being tried, and um, he's warming himself. And John's kind of pointing to that. He's kind of making this kind of circular story. He's mirroring the language. He's making it this kind of huge love story. But before we get down to that, we'll talk about breakfast. Who had breakfast today? I'm a big fan of breakfast. Um, So these guys were hungry. They had been up all night. They had been physically rowing. They had been sorting out sails and masks and hauling nets back and forth. It was really hungry physical work. And Jesus gave them bread and fish and invited them to bring their fish too. He personally served them. He took, he took care of their physical needs. I don't know if you've ever had to try to have a conversation with somebody who's really hungry. Um, my husband says that I get quite bossy when I'm hungry, which I'm sure is really difficult to believe. And, um, and sometimes he sends me to another room if he's cooking so I don't interfere. Um, but, you know, Jesus had been on um, the earth. He was, you know, fully human and fully God, and he knew what being hungry was like. And he knew they were going to have these amazing conversations, but he wanted to feed them first. So they sit down and they have breakfast. And then they finish breakfast, and Jesus and Peter have this conversation. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you felt really, really betrayed do you want to forgive them straight away? Do you not want them to know how much they've really hurt you? And so I thought for this, I would Google some films about betrayal. It turns out I don't watch a lot of films, and all the ones about betrayal I hadn't heard of. So I thought I would um, talk about something I do listen to. I don't know if anyone else listens to The Archers on BBC Radio 4. It's on weekdays at 7 and Sunday. Anyhow, there's recently been a storyline about Ben and Beth, who are a young couple. And Beth's sister Steph hits on Ben then Beth sees that Steph has hit on Ben she gets upset she splits up with Ben lots and lots of rockiness then Ben goes to a rave sleeps with Chelsea then Ben and Beth get back together and then Chelsea finds out she's pregnant I'm sure you didn't catch that at all anyhow That's not really the point. The point which I'm making is it's a very confusing storyline and it's a complete dream for radio script editors because they have all these emotions, all these characters and a lot of history. And, you know, it took place over several months. It it wasn't in the course of one episode. Um, 
But, but if that's your life... You know, so Peter, I don't know if you've ever had a really big argument with somebody and then tried to sit and eat a meal with them. It's really difficult. I have done it. Um, you know, and it's almost like you can't swallow properly. You're not looking at them. Um, you know, you're kind of studying your plate very intently. It's really, really difficult. And I wonder how well Peter ate that meal. We know it's the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples, but we don't know whether Peter had met um, Jesus before or whether he'd met some of the other disciples. We know he'd met Thomas. Um, you know, and these people had spent three years together. Peter had probably spent so much time with Jesus that he didn't just sound like him. He probably had the same mannerisms as him. And now this relationship is broken. So they finished eating and Peter hunger is filled, but he still feels empty. And Jesus reaches out to him, and they have this really beautiful conversation, which, as I said before, John is using to kind of mirror and kind of say, you know, you're welcome, you're included. So Jesus says to Peter, do you love me more than these? And we don't know what he means by these. He might mean these other disciples. You know, we know there's been a little bit of a kind of, you know, I want to sit your left hand and your right hand and all that sort of stuff. Does he mean more than the fish? You know, the 150 fish they've just gathered, you know, your way of life. Um, But he says, do you love me more than these? And he uses this Greek word called agape, which means this kind of pure and selfish, self-giving love, a kind of devoted love, a kind of self-sacrifice love. And Peter responds, but he doesn't use the same word. He uses this word uh, philia, which refers to the affection between friends. And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And maybe that's because he felt like he couldn't, he couldn't match that love. He knew that he had already let Jesus down. And actually, he felt he couldn't, he couldn't say that. So Jesus answers the question again. And he says, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. He uses the same word, um, this filial word. And Jesus says, take care of my sheep. And then Jesus asks for a third time. And when he asks for a third time, he mirrors Peter's language. And he says, do you like me? You know, he's not asking, can you give everything for me? Can you give this huge sacrificial self-giving love for me? He just says, you know, do you like me? Um, Are you fond of me? And Peter says, yes. But he also says that, um, the verse says that Peter is upset to be asked a third time. And he says, God, you know me. Lord, you know me. You know who I am. You know how I've messed up. You know when I have been right and when I've got it wrong. You know how actually I really want to do the the right thing, but I keep doing the wrong thing. You know what's gone on in my heart. And Peter says, yes, I love you as a friend. I might have failed in that self-sacrificing love for you, but I do love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Can I have the next slide, please, Phil? So Jesus doesn't see us as a failure. And we may feel that we have failed, but God lifts us up. And these three questions mirror these denials which Jesus has made. And Jesus is both reinstating Peter and telling him all is forgiven. But he's not just saying, it's okay, you know, it's all forgiven. He's saying, I'm giving you this amazing job to do. He's commissioning him in going out there and sharing his good news with the rest of the world and starting the church. He's taking what Peter could offer and telling him that it is enough. And Jesus didn't ask for a theological debate. He didn't go into it. Well, what do you think you did wrong in that situation? You know, he, d- he didn't ask for, um, you know, his CV. He didn't say, why have you gone back to fishing? Um, you know, he just said, do you love me? And that's a question for all of us. You know, we're called to be part of God's story. And all God asks for us is, 
Do you love me? 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clashing cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move the mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. And that's my final point, really. Next slide, please, Phil. Is that God takes what we have and he says it's enough. We are enough. And whatever we can offer him, he says, yes, come and be part of my big story. And he offers you breakfast, and we're going to go into communion after this. And, you know, it's a real chance to kind of stop and, you know, have that moment in your weekend where you think, actually, this is my Peter moment. This is where I'm going to stop and I'm going to connect and I'm going to go, where am I? And do I love God? And what does that mean? And where have I got it wrong? And where, where can I ask God to bring his healing into that? And if we follow Peter's story through Acts, we see that he becomes this amazing leader of the early church. For about 15 years after the resurrection, he kind of dominates the community. Um, He presided over the appointment of Matthias as an apostle, replacing Judas. And it was him who gives this amazing speech at the beginning of Acts 1 um, at Pentecost, where like 3,000 people were added to their number. And so we, like Peter, are called and invited to follow Jesus, to feed his sheep, to take care of his lambs. So where were you when 9-11 happened or when Princess Diana died? For Peter, that day is one of those moments. But for him, it wasn't a moment of tragedy or shock. It was a moment of healing and reconciliation. He received God's love. He received that acceptance from Jesus. And then he was able to serve from that healed place. He knew that Jesus had put his trust in him and that he had commissioned him and that what he did was okay because Jesus had given it to him to do. And radical servanthood comes from a place of love. It comes from a place of humility. But it also comes from not working in our own strength, but in asking God for his and to come from a place of healing. So I'm just going to pray as I finish. Father God, I thank you for this story, God. It's only found in the book of John, but it's a story which is so important because it says, actually, you saw Peter and you forgave Peter and you commissioned Peter and you gave him this invitation. And God, you do the same for us. And we are part of your family, God. As we saw earlier today with all the names and all the faces, we are all part of your family and we're all called into this great commission. But God, we are broken and we are empty And Father, we come to you and we just pray for your healing, Lord. We pray for your wholeness, God. Let us not do this in our own strength, God, but let us know that you see us, God, that you want to give us breakfast, God, that you want to spend time with us and you want to have that conversation which is individual to each of us. Father God, I just pray that you would um, use this time which we have today for us to really connect with you, God, and follow you. Amen.